and the deal was awful. Um, we didn't make money on it. Um, we, we did a seller carryback and we sold it. And that guy defaulted, lost even more money on it the second time around. And so I, I guess I realized that, um, you know, don't don't let the excitement of doing a deal or a goal or just surging forward because, you know, failure is not an option. Well, there's a time to walk away. And, and as I mentioned before, you know, you don't want to lose that battle because sometimes you, you, you lose the war if um, you go down in flames and your credit's destroyed and you lose your cash. You know, it's, it's tough to, you know, get back started in this game again. Before we begin this week's show, I'd like to make you an offer, a free 30-minute call with me. We've been doing weekly chats with other real estate investors for months now, and the response has been great. But we're going to change things up a bit and focus. We are buying self-storage facilities. We have a great partner in North Carolina with a great track record of success, a background in construction, and we're partnering up to help him expand his portfolio. If you have an interest in learning more about investing in self-storage, on the active side, on the passive side, whatever your level of interest, we want to talk to you. There's no pitch here. We're not selling a coaching program. This is just a chance for us to network with other investors interested in self-storage. Also, if you're a current self-storage owner, we'd love to chat with you and perhaps have you as a guest on our show. If all that sounds like something you'd be interested in, go to roadtofamilyfreedom.com slash self-storage call and schedule a call there. I look forward to speaking with you. All right, enough out of us. Let's hit the road to family freedom. Greetings, friends and families. I'm Neil. And I'm Brittany. You're listening to The Road to Family Freedom. Our guest this week is one of the premier educators in the self-storage industry. If there's a better known one, I'd have a hard time naming them. Uh, He's been principal in 16 facilities since 2006. He's raised over $20 million in capital to fund self-storage facilities. And if you were to type selfstorageinvesting.com into a web browser, I can pretty much guarantee that you would find him. Scott Myers, welcome to The Road to Family Freedom. Uh, thanks for having me, Neil. It's good to be here. Yeah, it's good to see you again. Uh, it's been too long. <laughs> yes, it has. So, so you were an experienced real estate investor before you got into storage. Um, mm-hmm. Can you mm-hmm. talk to us a little bit about your, if you have an aha moment where you decided, yeah, storage, storage is where I want to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was in the, the single family homes. We had about 75 um, or so single family homes and um, mostly rentals. So, so we were landlording um, until the end when we began to do some, uh, some retailing as we begin to wind down and had um, uh, I think about 420 plus uh, apartment units in um, in several complexes. And um, you know, when I got into the, to the business, of course, uh, learning from, you know, Rich Dad Portet from Mr. Kiyosaki Carlton Sheets was the first home study system I uh, purchased. And uh, of course, everybody makes it sound easy and mailbox mm-hmm. money and, you know, set it and forget it and all that. Uh, only to realize that, the, you know, we didn't have the cash flow and the freedom that um, that the books and the, and the courses uh, discussed. And, um, you know, as we ramped up, we just had more um, tenant toilet and trash headaches. And so I thought, well, we love real estate um, for all the reasons that everybody here loves real estate. And that's because you can borrow money to buy it. Um, it appreciates and, and you can force that appreciation um, by you know, rehabbing and uh, adding on, doing whatever it takes to income producing properties like apartments or single family homes. And then it depreciates for tax purposes. And so, you know, gold, um, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, no other investment do you have, you know, those three things. And so this is the place to be, except for the tenants and toilets and trash. So <laughs> that leaves uh, um, parking lots or self-storage. <laughs> and so uh, I said that you can't build value in parking lots, but let's look at the storage thing. And um, and truly it was foreign. And um, and I've been somewhat introduced to it. I used to run the real estate association here in Indianapolis, and there was a couple of folks that were investing in it. But um, just, you know, I, I'll be honest, I kind of turned my nose down at it um, because, you know, it's just those garages, you know, what you see on the side of the road. How difficult can that be? It's not very glamorous. Um, but then you realize until your back's against the wall and you begin looking around the landscape and you realize oh, that wallflower over there is looking more attractive. <laughs> and so um, when I begin looking into it, you realize just the, the business model itself, it just makes sense. You know, when people uh, move in, um, they put a lock on their stuff and we don't hear from them again for another year or two years or five years. And they just pay their rent, you know, be a credit card, uh, you know, uh, automatic pay. And every once in a while, they may take something uh, out of it or put something back into it. We don't have to have a manager there full time, 40 hours a week um, because they would just be twiddling their thumbs, minding stuff. But then when people don't pay. 
you know, we get to overlock them. And um, then in order for them to get their stuff back out, they have to pay us their back rent and their late fees in order to take the lock off. And if they don't, then we get to auction their stuff off and we recoup our back rent and our late fees. And so you can't do that in habitation real estate. You know, we, we are the courts, we are the judge and the jury, and it's called a lien law. And we have that protection uh, versus the houses and apartments where, you know, the eviction laws, um, you know, they protect the, the landlord. So I saw the light, so to speak, and um, so to end the long one and answer to your question, you know, that and the fact that it's, you know, recession resistant and inflation resistant um, and there's just a whole lot of demand for it. And it's a, a predictable business model. That was enough to, to make me move that shift to selling off our, our houses and our apartments and, and you yeah, have to go full bore into self-storage. Gotcha. Awesome. Well, do you want to, did you have a go question? Nope. Okay. Um, could you tell us about the first <laughs> facility that you um, purchased or invested in? Sure. So the first one, um, you know, coming out of the apartment, um, you know, side of the business, um, you realize that anytime you have rental real estate, whether it be apartments, um, self-storage, office buildings, usually the bigger, the better, because uh, you get those economies of scale, especially when it comes to, to, to management, to a smaller 10, 20 unit facility. Yeah, you can't justify paying somebody to, to mine the store because the store doesn't have anybody coming through very often. But when you get up to, you know, 300, 400 units, that's when it makes sense. And so, you know, I was looking for some midsize uh, facilities and then we found, um, you know, a, a larger one, or I should say, I found a larger one. And so I did, I, I sought out a partner. Um, it was a gentleman that I had uh, been having coffee with a couple of times. Um, I ran across him. He had actually been named in a book of real estate exchangers here in my, in, in Indianapolis. So we met for coffee and he was a broker in the area and just left after meeting a couple of times saying, well, you know, if there's ever opportunity for us to work together, maybe, you know, it'll just kind of happen, but good, good seeing you again. And then, you know, when this uh, project came up, I, I reached out to him. And so we went in 50, 50. So we split the loan. Um, we were both guarantors on the loan, uh, came to the table with uh, the same amount of cash and then split up the duties and responsibilities after we were running it. So um, that's how I get into our first one. And so it was, it was um, a little over a million and a half um, uh, on that project. And then we each uh, put in a, a small amount for the down payment and uh, the sellers carried back a little bit uh, more. And we had a, a decent LTV loan on it because uh, the appraisal came in way higher and they actually went up to the, uh, the higher amount uh, of the loan to value. So we didn't have to come with too much cash. So that's, that's how we get into our first one. Do you recall, you know, I don't, you don't have to get exact, sort of a, a ballpark figure of how much money you personally had to come to the table yeah, with? Yeah, I think, I think we had 50000 in, in, into it. So we each had 50000 into it. And, um, you know, by all, all, all means, we should have had more than that. Uh, the purchase price was uh, around 1.8, I believe. And so, yeah, when all was said and done, we only had fifty into it. And then, um, you know, that we utilized um, a self-directed um, retirement account. So it, it was very little um, truly, you know, out of, out of our pocket uh, cash to get into that project. Yeah. Now, did you, because it was self-directed mm -hmm. retirement funds, did, did you have any issue with being an active participant or did you take out a loan? Um, and we took out a loan okay. against that. And, gotcha. um, and uh, boy, it's too bad we didn't have the rules we have in place right now um, to be able to do that. But um, yes, it was, a, it was a loan against it. Gotcha. No, it's very important to, to, for people to consider that if you're going Correct. to purchase real estate mm -hmm. with uh, directly from the funds, that you can't be an active participant. And not be the benefactor all, so directly. Yeah. 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 Correct. Correct. Um, do you recall how many, like how, what was the square footage, how many units and like that? Yeah, this was, um, it was about 400 units, just shy of 400 units. And it was a, a little over 40,000 square feet. And then um, we ended up, uh, we, we turned the operations around, leased it up and they ended up buying out land next door, another uh, three acres and it had a building on it. We, we converted that building to temperature controlled self-storage. And then we added another uh, 250 units. And uh, it was about that place that then uh, once those were coming online, when I um, then sold out of that project to my partner, and I moved on on my own. Gotcha. Well, that's one of the things that I absolutely love about storage <laughs> is that you don't have to go all in from the ground up and, mm -hmm. and you know, build a hundred thousand square foot facility in a community that you wonder, eh, it might lease up, it might not. You can very easily build in phases where it's yeah. very different for someone who builds, uh, as you often say, oh, someone who builds an office building or a 400 right. unit apartment building, they, they build it right. and they sit there and then they sit there and they pray that it leases up. 
So. Correct. Yeah, that is. Um, yeah, there's many, many benefits uh, to self-storage. And that is another one of those, uh, which is yeah, scalability. You know, you build a few buildings, you lease them up, you don't overstretch yourself, and then you build a, a few more and you have very few other asset classes that, uh, that you can truly phase it in that way and, and just kind of monitor and, you know, hit the, hit the gas and hit the brakes uh, accordingly as the market, uh, you know, brings the tenants and the occupancy to you. Yeah. yeah. How did you go about finding that first facility? Mailers, direct mail. Okay. Got a, uh, I bought a mailing list um, of uh, from a list broker of all the self-storage facility owners in the state of Indiana. And then uh, by zip code, we were sending out letters, hand-stamped, hand-addressed, signed by me um, from a letter that I just continued to tweak and hone and uh, until we got it, um, I guess, right. We had a, a decent response rate uh, out of those uh, mailers. And most of our facilities were purchased that way. And uh, even in, in the early years, most of them were that way. We found that way. And then um, some brokers were bringing some projects to us. Um, it wasn't until you know, later when we you know, began our education business then, uh, and I began writing articles and, and speaking other places, then the deals really came to us without um, too much effort. Yeah. But I, I still, to this day, I mean, that's what we teach our students is uh, direct mail direct mail and then follow a phone campaign uh, afterwards. You know, you have to make those uh, calls uh, afterwards. Yeah. And we just sent some letters recently, actually. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Uh, so what are some bad recommendations that you often hear in the self-storage industry? Oh, gosh, Neil. Um, so I spent time on one of those, um, well, the the large forum for real estate investors. <laughs> Everyone knows what I'm talking about. And and there's nothing wrong with it. I, I no, shouldn't no. say it that way. But um, per your question, there's a lot of bad advice there. So I, I find myself uh, being the, I don't know, the the, the sage, the, the policeman, the, the watchdog, whatever, <laughs> of bad self-storage advice on there. And I spend... You know, it, it's a great forum and, and it's a great way to, um, you know, connect with people. And, and also, you know, we gain clients and, and students uh, from there. Um, but uh, and a lot of it is just because of the, the way that we're active. And it's because there's a whole lot of folks that have opinions on all facets, you know, different asset classes in real estate that they never invested in or they've never invested in real estate, period. And they've all got advice or thoughts mm -hmm. or telling people what they would have to do. Um, so, gosh, Brittany, there's a there's a lot of it. But um, I think most of it just comes out of people's opinions. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, this is uh, again, this is no business is easy. Um, I mean, you have to walk the four corners and you have to do your homework and you have to understand what it is that you're investing in um, before you just uh, jump in. Um, you know, self-storage and, you know, you know, I see parking lots uh, jokingly, you know, there's not much that you have to do, but gosh, if you buy it wrong, it's just like any investment, including a stock. If you don't yeah. do the, the proper due diligence heading into it and, and then market uh, analysis, then you're going to find yourself in a heap of trouble um, by overpaying or with unmet expectations as to, you know, the projections and where it's going to lease up to. So I think that, that that's the main is that, you know, as we work with folks, uh, the bad advice that I see is, um, is, is really more bad actions by investors that just go out and I guess hope for the, for the best and think they know it all. And I've, I've done houses and I've done uh, apartments. I've done this, you know, how difficult can self-storage be? It's just metal boxes on concrete slabs. And, um, you know, I heard somebody say that, you know, it's this and it's mailbox and it's, I can just, you know, kick them out and sell their stuff off, but they don't take the proper time to do, uh, to educate themselves, which means that they don't understand you know, what it looks like uh, in terms of a, a market, how to analyze a market. Um, it's one thing to look at the numbers and be good at the underwriting of a facility. But if you don't look at the market, then you truly have missed half of the equation, period. Mm -hmm. If you're buying something that's 50% occupied, it's just steal. I'm buying it, you know, it's only 50% occupied. Uh, but then they don't look into the market and, you know, understand why the rent, and then the rents are really, really low compared to, you know, the next state over. And you say, well, okay. And then they buy it and you look into the market and all the competitors in, in, in a five mile radius, you know, it's an area that has been overbuilt and all the competitors are at 50% occupancy and they're all rates are all low because they're chasing each other down to the bottom because there's, there's too much inventory. And, you know, had they done their homework and, or, you know, taken the next steps, they probably wouldn't have bought that facility to begin with. And so that's, that's one example. Um, I, I, but I would just say at the end of the day, it really revolves around just due diligence and, and, you know, you don't know what you don't know until you begin to, you know, learn and understand what the business looks like. And even if you're making a mistake or not, so yeah. not, not seeking out that education partners, mentors, um, that's, that's probably the biggest. I know it's all encompassing, but that's, that's the best I got. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. I was actually going to say that 
Um, that's where having someone that's done it before and learning from them or doing a course with a reputable person, um, doing that education is really helpful because it is hard to just go in sort of, you know, blind a little bit if you haven't done the research. Yeah, I, I, I knew commercial real estate. I knew how to do underwriting when I was in apartments. We'd done that for a number of years and I understood what it looked like to look at markets. But before I got into storage, I, I spent um, a lot of time and paid a, a consultant. I mean, there, there wasn't really much education on self-storage out there. And so I paid a consultant yeah. who did feasibility studies and owned his own uh, companies and facilities. And he owned a, a property management company and um, drove over to Ohio. He's in the neighboring state and spent a, an entire day with him and then several phone calls and met up with him at different um, self-storage associations conferences and he was my mentor early on and thankful that I did because there, there's just different nuances to different asset classes in real estate and then until you understand that or at least seek that help out or at least run past those things past someone yeah yeah it, it may yeah. you may not only lose the battle but you might lose the war if you go under and uh, I've seen that happen a time or two to, to folks as well yeah yeah and Facebook forums might not be the best place to run <laughs> Five people. <laughs> well, and it's funny. I, I can't tell you how many times in the last couple of months I've seen someone, it's mostly on Facebook, uh, come across and say, hey, I've heard about storage and we have like five acres of land somewhere and we're, th- you know, we're going to put up some storage. Who's a good storage uh, uh building, you know, company. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, well, that's about step 10. Yeah, exactly. Have you done, have you looked at the market? What's the population? Have you, you know, have you done a feasibility study? And like, well, no, what is that? Like, yeah, okay, Mm -hmm. just stop. Don't just slow down. Mm -hmm. So So you've been in the storage world for (laughs) a while now, um, but Mm -hmm. I know for a fact that you run in circles with people who have been in even longer. Tron right? Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, who's still, who's still, you know, we're still trying to get as a guest. So Tron, if yeah. you're listening, you know, uh, it's time. Uh, you it's might do okay. me a favor and I'll, I know, I'll, I'll I know. pay it forward. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so what sorts of changes are you seeing in the industry now? Um, and maybe in the near future, 12 to 18 months. Oh boy, you didn't tell me I had to have my crystal ball out. And go, hold on a second. I, won't, I won't hold you to it. <laughs> you know, yet again, I'll, I'll, I'll answer that, um, but I'll answer it in a different way. And, uh, and once again, I, I, one of the reasons why I love self-storage is because it is, it's a simple, predictable business model. And I find myself right now, you know, go, we're going back and, and, and looking at the lessons that we learned in 2008, you know, during that recession. And you know, depending upon when this comes out and what you believe, I mean, we're, we're in a recession or we're at the front end of it or whatever. I've, I've embraced it and we know it's coming. And when you look at unemployment at historic highs where it is, then, you know, and, you know, yield curves and GDP, we're, we're in a recession. And so um, what what is different and what do I see in it? Um, I see a lot of the same things happening, and that is businesses downsize. Um, individuals will be downsizing even more so when, you know, the the, the free lunches uh, run out and all the assistance from the SBA and other places, um, you know, they will be moving back in. People will, individuals will move back in with family, um, friends, each other, and, you know, their extra stuff until things turn around again, we'll go to storage. You know, we've already seen businesses that immediately had to shut down and their inventory and furnishing, furnishings that were put into self-storage again until things uh, turn around. Um, back in March, you know, the kids had a month left to go. They came home from college early and there was no thought of when they'd go back. And so instead of storing it locally, you know, they all you know, stored everything. They didn't leave anything anywhere. And we had another rush. Then everybody goes to home from work. Um, businesses, uh, companies, you know, shut down the office, not the company, but the, the office would shut down. And so people had to clear out a spare bedroom or the living room or dining room to make uh, room for one or two wage earners to now set up shop in an office at, at home. And we had another rush to, to storage. So, you know, we've um, we knew what was going to happen during a recession, as we always do. And there's a, a contraction when there's, you know, you know this, Neil, we're in the trauma and transition business. And so when there's trauma and transition in the economy, there's a rush for storage. And so we, we expected that, but we didn't expect that extra boost from people being sent home from the office and um, from you know colleges ending early. And as we go through this recession, you know, we will see that you know the banks are still a little tight on development funding for all asset classes, including storage. So we're seeing a, a rush, you know, huge surge in demand for storage. Banks are slow to fund developments, and so we'll go through this phase again, like we had in 08 and 09, where you know, there's a huge absorption. Um, rates will go up. That's uh, basic supply and demand. And so for the next 12 to 18 months, 
Um, I'm, I can't say that I can predict um, to your question, Brittany, more than I'm curious as to, to see what's going to happen is to what, what projects get funded and, you know, how the supply and demand plays out. Certain markets needed this and they needed a slowdown uh, of, of development. And so that's good for the industry and for those uh, markets in, in general. Uh, but the, the demand itself for storage, um, I, I think we're going to see is going to be maybe a little bit greater than we've seen in the past, just because many businesses aren't going to make it. And, um, you know, their inventory, the furnishings, it has to go somewhere. And, you know, highest unemployment, um, was the last I saw over 30 million people out of, a, out of a job that is worse than the last recession. And so we know that it's only a matter of time. We're 60, 90 days out before they can't afford to pay their uh, apartment payment, mortgage payments and what have you. And we're going to see another surge in demand. So that's 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 what I see um, on the horizon uh, right now. But we're we, we do have our ear to the ground because this is uncharted territory this time around. Do should people be careful about, you know, developing or adding to their facility to accommodate this larger amount of needs? Because later it might kind of flow back. Ooh. That you know, that's a that's a possibility, and that's the balance. I mean, mm-hmm. um, I don't want to say it's a million dollar question; it might be the the two hundred fifty thousand dollar question. But hard telling. I mean, you, you certainly don't want to um, build a building based upon current demand. Um, you need to see. I, I'd like to see that there's been historical growth in a market, you know, natural growth that is causing that. You know, if you look at some of the cities that are doing extremely well. Um, around the country, Texas uh, being one of them. Um, although hmm, that may not be a good example right now because they got a huge rush of everybody coming from California. But mm-hmm. you know, uh, Nashville, um, you know, Dallas, Houston. You know, there's many, many cities that have just because of you know the nature of the economy and it's just a great place to live. Jobs, growth, everything's coming there. So to to build or expand based upon that. Um, I'd say yes, but if uh, due to a recent surge because of what's going on in the economy, that may not be the best thing to do. To you know to plunk down 250 grand or $500,000 to expand your facility. If you think that uh, then that's going to contract and things are going to change uh, afterwards. Yeah. Um, I, I, I liken that Brittany to when we went out to North Dakota um, during the, the oil boom um, five, six years ago, looking around the Williston Tioga areas and uh, development was absolutely nutty for those of us that, uh, that remember that, um, you know, $18 an hour at Walmart because they couldn't get enough um, you know people to work there. And houses popping up all over the place and, you know, fields were going for, you know, um, 80, 90, 100,000 an acre out in the middle of absolutely nowhere. Um, But what happens if things go bust, you know, with oil, Um, which they did. And thankfully, before I pulled the trigger on anything uh, and and we a couple of folks that I knew were literally left holding the bag out there because uh, they were basing it based upon recent figures, you know, the last six to 12 months of uh, growth. And that wasn't sustainable. And, and as a matter of fact, everything turned around dramatically. So I, I think you really need to look uh, further back as to what's going on in that market to see if it's sustainable and then build based upon that demand, not just, um, you know, the, the, the current rush, if that makes sense. Um, well, you know, they, they often say that the worst enemy of storage is storage, um, yeah. you know, and uh-huh. it's just, you know, you have to be careful. Um, you and I, before we started this call, we're talking about the state of the market in Las Vegas, and you've got a lot of vacant land, and you're in a, in a community where a REIT could say, hey, you know, we have cheap enough money, you know, we're able to borrow uh-huh from insurance companies at 2%, you know? Mm-hmm. So we're okay mm-hmm. dropping 100,000 100, square feet mm-hmm. of A-class three-story storage hotel uh, in a community. And we're okay waiting, sitting for five or six years while it leases up. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're a mom and pop, you know, who's, uh, you know, in that same, within a mile of that, that's going to mm-hmm. really have a, a pretty negative effect on, on, your, um, on your bottom line or can. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, and this certainly happened, and I know it's happened in places like uh, Nashville is a, a market I hear a lot about, Dallas, um, mm. Portland, you know, are sort of the markets mm. where really people, you know, the scuttlebutt is that they're overbuilt markets, Boise, um, mm-hmm. things yeah. like that. But, so. Uh, no, I don't know where we are. <laughs> okay, so um, what are some... Uh, <laughs> What are some tools or tactics that you use you use to better leverage your time? Because I know you're a busy guy. Wow, 
Oh, I need more tools to leverage my time. <laughs> a better way to answer that. Um, we, we've been busy uh, recently, and uh, I think everybody's been stretched in, in various industries and storage. Um, certainly, uh, we've been going like gangbusters. And so, you know, it, it forces you to, you know, when you're stretched, it forces you to double down. And so we have an adding staff. And um, I guess that goes without saying is, um, you know, if you can clone yourself, well, you can't, you know, necessarily do that. Um, you know, Neil, Brittany, only you can do your show. You can't clone that. There's certain decisions that only I can can make um, and things that I uh, have to do in my business, but anything else that I can delegate to somebody else um, or to hire a virtual assistant, um, you know, we're looking at doing right now. So um, I think that's, that's probably the biggest. And so I know that's not a tool, but um, using a virtual assistant and or an executive assistant, and then getting to that place where it makes sense to hire some really some good lieutenants that are, you know, more executive level or C-suite level to truly replace you as you grow. I think that's uh, that, that is key. Um, but beyond that, um, if I could get a hold of my, my schedule, that'd be fantastic. Uh, but we've, we, you know, we've done Calendly and just being smarter about um, our, our scheduling and our, and our time and our meetings. Um, yes, Zoom is, um, is great, but it, it, it's been even better in terms of uh, being more succinct uh, in, in how we get our message across and the amount of time that we spend. Um, Loom is uh, another sending videos out. Uh, I think we spent a lot of time, you know, with typing things out and crafting just the perfect message. And, and now I've been really cognizant of the fact that, hey, you know what, there's so much to get lost in email and text anyways. Um, you know, just emotion and, uh, you know, facial expressions and tonality. And so, you know, there's Loom is one and there's a, a couple others where, you know, you click a button, it's real easy. You don't have to wait and render and, you know, uh, edit a video, but I can just click a button very quickly from the camera on my computer and a microphone, um, send a message over to somebody, click the link and and attach it to an email and off it goes. And that's, that's saved a, a lot of time. Um, beyond that, I, I, I'd have to say that I probably struggle in that department of sending down and <laughs> And I'm taking a look at other ways that we can. I mean, we've got project management software in place. And so that um, that replaces emails uh, for so many things. And I believe that that's even stronger than Slack. We're, we're not Slack users around here. We've tried that a few times and we found that, that, that there's still messages that kind of get lost um, in, in those channels. And so I, I, I still prefer... Um, pro project management software that has, you know, dates on it that something goes in red and alarms go off if something is overdue. Um, that way we don't have to circle back and, and spend a lot of time looking and searching for things and due dates. So um, a good property or excuse me, project management software has uh, been key. Um, but then also on, on the storage side specifically, um, uh, Neil, I don't know if you knew this, but we, we, we just um, bought into Yardi. And so there's a very you know, large expense uh, for us. Uh, so nationwide, and that is really, that's cut down on time and in expense. And, uh, you know, we can get a lot of data from that uh, where we used to spend a lot of time um, doing it as well as then in many cases paying for, you know, the con consultant to do a desk study at the very least. And so it doesn't, this doesn't replace a feasibility study by any stretch or a desk study. Um, but it's, it's, it's in between us kind of eyeballing and looking at everything and then getting some hard data behind it. And so that saved a lot to be able to, you know, decide whether to go forward with something or, or to peel back and, you know, set it by the wayside. So that's been another tool specific to, to, to our industry. So those are, those are the ones off the top of my head that I can think of that have, uh, that have helped out to uh, help us leverage our time a little better. Gotcha. Do you, um, in regards to Yardi matrix, um, how does it compare to a tool like radius plus? Very, very similar. And, you know, these uh, the market reports, StoreTrack, Radius Plus, Yardi, um, each of them have their strong suits and each of them have their shortfalls. Um, and none of that, including the feasibility studies that we get from our consultants. And, you know, they're using Esri and a lot of the, you know, databases, tools, and things that we have access to, we still back into and, and really stress test and, and verify all those uh, those numbers and figures. So um, I, I would say it's on on par with that. And, um, you know, I don't know that I want to go on record or on camera comparing one <laughs> to the other, pointing out their, uh, <laughs> their shortfalls and shortcomings. Sure. But uh, after doing a lot of uh, research, um, there's a lot of things I like that Radius does, and there, uh, but there were some areas where we had some shortfalls. Uh, but, but for coverage, national coverage, Yardi does have a pretty large database. And so to open that up to our students, and our joint venture partners and our project managers and our staff, you know, to be able to have that coverage, um, you know, it's just, it's just, it's been key for us uh, to, to make that available to everybody to be able to uh, get that information out. So that's, that's how we settle on it. Um, and again, Radius, Radius Plus, uh, awesome, awesome yeah. programs. Yeah. Well, and again, as you, as you hinted at, it's not, doesn't replace a feasibility study or even mm -hmm. what you call mm -hmm. a desktop study. It's just a, yeah. one of those high level screening tools that, you can use when looking mm -hmm. at a deal, decide, you know, do I, is this worth digging in further? 
Um, yep, that's but, it. Just uh, beyond the first blush, um, it'll it'll tell you whether to move forward or not. And that's uh, that's where it fits. Gotcha. Has there been um, a failure or maybe an apparent failure that you feel like has set you up for a later success or something that you might call a favorite failure? Let's see here. Only by the grace of God am I still here after all the failures. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you know, here, here's one that comes to mind only because we were talking about it uh, in a meeting earlier today with um, my staff and one of our joint venture partners. And that is, um, it was an apartment complex. And it was, I think it was the second apartment complex that I bought. And um, I'd, I'd, I'd set a goal um, to get into, you know, another apartment complex by the end of this year. And Neil may have even heard this story before. And that is because um, we tell our folks that, you know, don't, don't let the excitement of doing it a deal trump the viability of the investment because I think so many people they they set a goal and they say I'm going to get in and and um, they told everybody and they put it out there in the ether and their accountability partners and then it's October and they haven't done it yet and so they're going to go find whatever they can just to meet that goal so that nobody ridicules them you know and then they well it doesn't cash flow but I'll make it up on the next one you know and ugh, I've heard that way too many times and so I, I found myself in a in a similar situation uh, I bought this apartment complex and everywhere I turn. And there was just problem after problem, challenge after challenge, and the deal, you know, just kept getting worse. But by God, I was going to make it better. And um, oh, profit's not going to be as much as I thought. And oh, that that too, well, profit's not going to be as much as I thought. And I continued to push forward. It was just a, I was on a mission. And so, um, you know, if I could share my faith, I, I just realized that the more I pushed on on the door to open it up, I think God was on the other side pushing back. And then finally, I think he just let go and let me fall on my face. And, <laughs> and the deal was awful. Um, we didn't make money on it. Um, we, we did a seller carry back and we sold it. And that guy defaulted, lost even more money on it the second mm. time around. And so I, I guess I realized that, um, you know, don't, don't let the excitement of doing a deal or a goal or just surging forward because, you know, failure is not an option. Well, there's a time to walk away. And, and as I mentioned before, you know, you don't want to lose that battle because sometimes you, you, you lose the war if um, you go down in flames and your credit's destroyed and you lose your cash. You know, it's, it's tough to, you know, get back started in this game again. So that, that would be one. And uh, also earlier on in my career, I learned the lesson of um, really digging into property taxes. Um, there was, you know, if you if you're buying a facility at a at a million dollars or any piece of real estate for a million bucks, and you look at the tax assessment uh, in the tax record, and the last time it was assessed it was at five hundred thousand. Um, you know, depending upon the state and the municipality that you're in, not all of them, but you know, many of them, they'll reassess based upon the sales value. Um, some parts of the country, it's just a three percent bump, no matter how many times it trades. Um, some a little more egregious than others, or sometimes it's just you know they haven't been around to assess in a while. Uh, but if you're buying something, you know, for a million and last time it was uh, assessed at, at 500,000, I don't care how they assess because the next election, a new assessor can come in and say, well, I know that's the way we've been doing it here for a hundred years, but I came from this state or in this, you know, county or municipality, this is the way they do it. And we are as well, because we're leaving hundreds of millions of dollars on the table. And, and like that, your taxes could go up um, and there's nothing you can do about it. Um, uh, well, there's something you can do about it. You can maybe hand the keys back to the bank or sell it short or do something, but looking at property taxes and um, everything in terms of the ownership and what it's going to look like um, under your ownership and management uh, versus where the numbers sit right now. So those are, those are two off the top of my head. Well, and it's, None of them are my favorite. How's that? Pretty? Sorry. <laughs> that was a loose term. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, um, you in storage or in real estate in general, you really want to try and control <laughs> You really want to be aware of the things that you cannot control. Mm -hmm. We got the top mm -hmm. of you. you can't control how how a property is going to be taxed. The municipality is going to tax it. You know, mm -hmm. short of you know not buying it, or as you often talk about, you know, uh, trying to build, um, you know, putting on portable units and things like that. But um, mm -hmm. you know, you really need to focus on on knowing what it is in the market that you cannot control. You can't control the supply and demand in a market. It is what it is. You right. can control um, the uh, how how our facility is managed. You can control how it looks. Uh, you can control the customer experience. Uh, you mm -hmm. can't control how many customers are in a community. Uh, it, it just is what it is. So mm -hmm. to go back to your goals thing, I'm just curious. Like in my mind, especially with this, because yes, setting a goal to buy 
something mm-hmm. and, and feeling mm-hmm. like you have to do that is a recipe for disaster. Do mm-hmm. you feel like maybe a better goal might be, um, setting how many, you know, letters you send out or, um, you know, something where you're, you're setting the goal for what you do. And then the outcome is just based on that activity. A hundred percent. And that, um, you know, that, that's kind of uh, the reverse way of what uh, Neil had mentioned. Uh, you, you may not end up, you, know, you can't control the result. You may not get into uh, the right deal or a deal that year. Um, but that means having the discipline to walk away from the ones that don't make sense, but your activity level you can control. And, uh, and absolutely, you know, then looking at every opportunity that comes along. And so, um, you know, the overarching goal is to put yourself in a position where you can take advantage of opportunities as they present themselves in the marketplace, you know, so being, being prepared. So doing the marketing, but simultaneously having a goal of, you know, I need to already have relationships established with, you know, two or three lenders, so credit unions, community banks that, that like self-storage so that when I get under contract, I'm not starting from scratch trying to build my team and trying mm-hmm. to, you know, sell self-storage to a, um, a bank if they're not even interested in it. Same thing with, um, you know, either some partners or private equity lenders, you know, just having those conversations with folks um, that um, to say, hey, you know, if you're ever interested in, in self-storage uh, in some of these projects, is it okay if, um, you know, when I find some that I sit down and put some of these in front of you um, and identifying uh, those folks um, so that when the time comes, you, you've got them, you know, in your back pocket to be able to, you know, present and put in front of. So the goal should be absolutely, you know, the strategy and, and, and tactics, Brittany, and mm-hmm. then, you know, having the back end so that you're ready and then, you know, put the gas in the marketing machine to go out there mm-hmm. and have the confidence that when the opportunities present themselves, you know, big or small or multiple, um, that you can then, you know, confidently move forward with them um, if those opportunities have present themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, to be super open, that's kind of what our podcast is. It's setting up some of that scaffolding by connecting mm-hmm. with people um, and then also connecting with our listeners so that, you know, I mean, we, we talk to family and friends that didn't, they don't even know what we're doing until they realize, oh, you have this <clears throat> podcast and it, it just, um, it's nice to have, it, it really sets up that, that network and gives us someplace to go if we need help or looking mm-hmm. for investors or what have you. Well, it's not nice to have. It's a must have. Um, yes. If you find a project, you've underwritten it and you're ready to go under contract. You know, the minute the ink is dry from the seller, the clock is ticking. You know, you've got due diligence coming up um, in, in 20 or 30 days. And that includes financing. And if you haven't found a home, meaning a loan for that project, uh, that's it. Uh, it. It's over. And it took us uh, many, many years to build up the team that we have. You know, having a, you know, starting with a solid real estate attorney to look at the purchase agreement. You know, if you don't have one in your market or the market where the facility is located, you'll waste days trying to find that, you know, and then the the title company to set up lenders, equity partners. I mean, all of those, if you don't have people that you can call so that the day that you get under contract, you know, boom, here's a list of all these people on my team that I need to call, then um, yeah, you've, you've really put the cart before the horse and, and, and you'll get to the end of due diligence and it'll fall out of contract because you didn't have the team in place. So, um, a hundred percent, um, you know, it's not the sexy part of it, but what you guys are doing is so key because I can't, I can't think of, there's probably not a person out there listening right now that, that didn't have an opportunity that either felt scared that they couldn't take it down because their network wasn't large enough or that that actually happened to, they went under contract and it fell out because they didn't have a team in place. All right. Before we let you go, I think we'd be remiss if uh, we didn't get you to talk about your mission work building houses mm-hmm. down in Mexico. So, I, I well, do we have another hour? <laughs> <laughs> if you want it, you got it. <laughs> uh, I, I, I wish we had more to talk about right now. Unfortunately, our our, our May house builds um, were put on hold. Um, so, but the good news is that um, we we're we're at the place where we're building about four houses a year now. So we we tithe corporately. Uh, we have two businesses: our education business and our investment business. And we tithe. Uh, we take ten percent of our profits uh, on those um, uh, from those businesses, and then we take groups of people to Ensenada, Mexico. We've been to the Dominican Republic, but now settled on Ensenada because we can go to San Diego. It's easy for folks to, to fly into uh, to San Diego, and then we uh, do the border crossing and uh, take a beautiful drive down Highway One into Ensenada, which is a it's a resort town. It is a uh, cruise ship uh, port. 
And um, if you, you know, blinked and opened your eyes, um, you would think that you were in um, any major seaside city here in the U.S. and in some parts of it. Uh, but a 20 minute drive away from there is, um, you know, some of the uh, uh, more drastic generational poverty stricken areas that, uh, that you'd ever see in any other third world country. And we build houses there um, in a day and a half. We work with our partners at Youth with a Mission or YWAM, as many people may be familiar with. And uh, they have interviewed a family that is uh, deserving and um, has land that they own and uh, we pay for the house and we bring a team of uh, 20 people per house down there. It's a family oriented mission trip. And in a day and a half, uh, we build a house and we hand the keys over to that uh, family. And so Mm -hmm. we are doing our best to end generational poverty, one family at a time. But then by taking our friends, family, coworkers, vendors, partners, um, students, um, anybody that wants to go on one of those uh, trips, we'll we'll pay for it all except for the trip for them to get to San Diego at the airport, uh, for them to have a, you know, experience a short-term mission trip that is family friendly, very safe area. Um, We can bring, they do, and we do. We've been bringing our kids since they were young. And uh, just, you know, sit, plant the seed and um, see what happens and whether they come back and, and, and it's life changing and they do something when they get back to the States or decide to do uh, likewise. Uh, that's up to them. But we're, we're doing our part. And um, if I had my way, I'd be doing that, um, you know. 80% of my time and 20% on all, on all the rest. And we'll get there at some point and, <laughs> and we'll get you guys there along with your kiddos as well at some point as well. So um, yeah, we love it. And um, yeah, can't wait to, for what the future holds and certainly hope our November builds that are scheduled right now. Um, so far so good that, uh, that those will continue and, and that we'll be able oh, to go down and build two more. All right. Well, awesome. fingers are crossed for you. Yes, for sure. Well, Scott Myers, thank you so much for sharing with us today. Um, it was so good catching up with you. Uh, if any of our listeners would like to find out more about you, what, what would be the best way for them to do that? Oh, yeah. Well, as you mentioned, if you uh, type in Scott Myers or Self Storage anywhere on uh, all the socials, uh, <laughs> we're there. But uh, selfstorageinvesting.com is our main website. And yeah, we got a lot of free information and materials and downloads and things. Uh, if people want to take a little further look under the hood of self-storage, uh, I'd be happy to be able to help and lots of resources there. So, uh, Neil, that is great catching up with you as well. And Brittany, it was uh, nice to meet you. And um, Neil, I'm looking forward again. We, we got some unfinished business uh, yes, here. Do. So uh, <laughs> looking forward to our next project together. All right. Awesome. Thanks again, Scott. My pleasure. Thank you, guys. Okay, that was Mr. Scott Myers from selfstorageinvesting.com. Please do go check him out if you have any interest in self-storage. Also, as I say on the call, uh, uh, on this show at the beginning, if you have an interest in self-storage, you can also talk to me, uh, roadtofamilyfreedom.com, self-storage call. Uh, I think that's the link. It'll be in the show notes. Slash self-storage call. Something like that. Um. All right. So did you have a key lesson learned from this interview? Um, I think I liked, I I really like talking about with goals. Um, So the difference between like, you know, setting a goal that you're going to buy X number of things and then sort of forcing yourself to do it. And in that way, um, not choosing wisely or, you know, not, not really doing your due diligence and trying to like make a deal work because you feel like you have to, um, you know, I think something, there's something to be said. If you want to make that goal, I know we've had some goals in that vein. They, they're great to make as long as you're reevaluating them as you go. Um, you know, it, sometimes you do have to let go of a goal that doesn't make sense. Um, you know, but so reevaluating every quarter or so, if you have a, a, a goal for a year, can be really useful. Now, the other way that you can do that, um, that we talked about is that instead of setting the goal for what you are going to buy or, you know, what that ultimate outcome has to be, you can set a goal for what you will do to get there or to, um, create the openings for something to happen. And so if it doesn't, you know, if you don't end up, you can have like a sort of like, I love to buy a facility by the end of the year, but it's the goal is more to do that. My goal is to do X, Y, Z things to have that be a possibility. And then, you know, you are setting yourself up for success, even if it doesn't happen exactly in the timeline that you would like, as long as you're meeting those activity goals. Well, it even, I mean, it's almost every goal, even when you're talking about just a weight loss goal, it's like, well, my goal is to lose, uh, 20 pounds or 5% body fat. Okay. That's great. Okay. It's good. It's a good thing to, to yeah. 
to have your eye on. But <laughs> what are you really, going to do to do that? <laughs> the, the thing that's going to get you there is what are the daily things that you're going to do daily yeah. and weekly, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. and what's going to get you to that goal is going to be the daily discipline of, yeah. of yeah. working that plan. Yeah. And if you continue to do those things, a lot of times you'll have that, but sometimes it doesn't end up that way Correct. in, in real estate, but in also, yep. you know, in health, sometimes you have to reevaluate and yep. awesome. Um, what was yours? Um, you know, this is a really uh, deep in the weeds kind of thing, but I think it's very <laughs> important for people to know in any real estate transaction, but especially when you're dealing with um, large commercial assets, which is pay attention to what the property taxes are going to do after you buy it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's especially true right now. Um, I can't, I don't have a crystal ball, but I can tell you right now, there are a lot of states and municipalities that are going to be really hurting for Mm -hmm. money in the coming years because of what the virus has done to their economies, um, and their, and their bottom and their, their tax revenue. They're going to be looking for more tax revenue and chances are, there's a really good chance that they're going to look to property taxes yeah. to do that. Yeah. And I, I don't, I don't want to get into a, a, a political debate about it. It's just, I think a fact of life and it's something you should be prepared for. So it's very important that when you look at, Oh, uh, that facility pays $5,000 a year in taxes. Okay, good. I'm going to rate, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to underwrite it for a 3% uh, increase like all my other expenses. Well, you need to dig deeper. You need to call, and I've done this. Um, When we've looked at facilities in um, Illinois, uh, you know, there are some municipalities where, you know, the the moment that place sells, they're going to come in and they're going to, um, they're going to reappraise it at whatever price you bought it at. And they're going to tax the ever living bleep out of you. (laughs) Um, And it, and it, Killed a lot of deals. I mean, there was yeah. a fantastic, like, four-facility portfolio that would have been so good. Um, but when we dug into it, um, and it had been on the market, they'd been trying to sell it for five years, I think. Mm. And, and we find out the reason is, is because everyone knows the moment they go to sell it, um, the, taxes the taxes wipe out all of the ca- almost all of the, the profit. Yeah, yeah. Pay close attention to that. So yeah. that was very, that's a very, you know nerdy tax thing. Oh, no, I think it's important. I mean, people forget to think about a lot of like smaller expenses or things that go into that piece. And that sounds, that's something that um, you can't really, I mean, because if it's based on the purchase price or the appraisal price, like there's not really a lot you can do to like create a bubble to help mitigate the, that, um, cost because the, to do any of those things, you'd be basically just increasing mm-hmm. the, it, it would go along with it. So, well, and it can be deadly to the deal yeah. and it can be deadly to the deal after you already own it, which is the, is the really, da- yeah. is the real danger. Yeah. No, so. All right. Um, how did he acquire his knowledge? Um, he did courses. Um, I think he did, he, he did some mentorships. He hired a consultant. Um, he hired, yeah. yeah, he hired a consultant because there wasn't really the um, wealth of education, um, which he is part He's of. now filled that void. Yes, he has filled that void. Um, but yeah, mentors, uh, consulting, um, and just really educating himself. Um, books and things. Yeah. I don't know. Make and, stop and, talking. We, and we didn't really get, yeah. And we didn't really get into a key, a key piece of knowledge. I mean, he, um, that, well, uh, there I was, I think what we just talked about sort of yeah. are some things that probably, you know, we, looking at your failures is a great way to figure out how to be successful. Yeah. So, gotcha. um, how much time money, money. Okay. Skipping forward lady. Does it matter what order we go in? To me, it does because I'm a very process oriented person and it, it gives me anxiety when you skip ahead. Does everybody love hearing us bicker at the end of every episode? We really do love each other. I like to give him shit about it though. Um, money. 
Um, okay. So that first facility was worth 1.8 million purchase price. Purchase yep. price. Um, and he put 50,000 down and his partner did as well. So they were about a hundred K in. Yep. Uh, and a lot of that was um, they were able to do a seller carry back, which means that the seller sort of held on to um, basically acted like the bank and okay. um, funded, uh, funded their own purchase that way. So mm-hmm. it'd be a really great way to get into a facility, especially a facility that doesn't have such great financials and maybe doesn't look so good to a bank, a lender mm-hmm. um, because a lender will want to see, past three years of tax returns. They'll want to see the profit and loss and, you know, um, all that stuff. And if you've got a, a, a poorly run facility that's 40% occupied and maybe the owner hasn't kept great records, most lenders are going to be like, yeah, no, we're not doing that. Yeah. Um, so that can be a great way for you to come to a, a, an owner and say, hey, listen, um, we're going to have to get the our handle on this, on this facility and get it... Um, running before we can go to a bank. So how about you act as the bank? We'll pay, we'll take over, you know, mm-hmm. we'll pay you, uh, uh, you basically, you're going to get cash flow without having to do the work. And, uh, that yeah. can be a way to get into it. And then once at a later date, when you've now, um, improved the facility and, and got the books, um, organized, then you can go to a lender and then pay them out. So. Yeah. All right. Um, location. No, no I know. <laughs> just kidding. Time. Uh, this is a full-time job for Scott. Uh, um, but he's also, um, like, he's, he's got the education he's got that, side. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's got, uh, you know, they're, yeah. they're raising capital. They've got multiple facilities. Um, yeah. As he's, he's running, he's running a, a he's large running business. business. Yeah. As we've talked about before, if you're, doing if you're actually like running the deal if you're looking for the funding then it's a business if you want to do storage and you don't want to have to actually do anything then you need to be uh invest passively yeah. um so. gotcha. location <laughs> uh we didn't get specifically into this but uh, this is yes um this is pretty much something scott could do from almost anywhere in the world at least anywhere in the country um yeah. they they invest um He's in Indiana, and I know he he has investments in things that he's involved with in the Pacific Northwest, yeah. in Florida, in Texas, in North Carolina. He's he's all over the place. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, and he takes time to leave the country with his mission work, um, and we didn't talk about it, but he's done mission work in other parts of the world. So um, that's it's. You know, I assume that he can do that along with some vacations and things here and there. Awesome. Okay. That was Mr. Scott Myers from selfstorageinvesting.com. Like I said, please go check him out. Um, We're doing this all again next week. Let's hit the road. Bye. Hey, before you go, if you like the show, we would be delighted if you'd head over to Podchaser and leave us an honest review. And do let us know why you like the show how long you've been listening, and in particular, what you find really useful or entertaining. And let us know if there's anything you think we should change. Also, if you have specific questions about real estate investing, especially self-storage or short-term rentals, shoot us an email at info at roadtofamilyfreedom.com and we'll be happy to answer your question on the show. We might even turn it into an entire episode. Thanks for listening. We're doing this all again next week. Until then, safe travels.